0: Hello, podcast pennants. It's producer Mike here with a quick update. For those of you who follow Callie's social will know that there's quite a lot going on in her world at the moment, so we can't bring you the new episode with Marcus Birdman as planned. Normal service will resume next week, including our first-ever live show at the Cheerful Earful Podcast Festival, November 4th at 2 p.m. in Balham South London. Callie's guest will be the comedian Vittorio Angeloni, and tickets are still available, but going fast, so get on it. Okay, Mike, I hear you say. That's next week, but what about this week? Well, how about one of my all-time favorite episodes, Carrie Goddleman? One of the best compliments a podcast can get is, it's like listening to two mates chat down the pub. Well, this is the epitome
1: of that. Enjoy. Namaste, motherfucker. Welcome to Namaste Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy and well-being collide. I'm your host Callie Beaton and this episode is called Wimples, Writing and Wankers. And in keeping with the spirit of the podcast, it contains, as my guest today calls it, some plinky plonky talk about chakras and Buddhas and self help and stuff like that. The very first self help book was published in 1859. It had the inspired title of Self Help and it outsold the other big book of the year, which was On the Origin of Species. Since the start of this millennium, mindfulness has apparently increased 20-fold. I've studied mindfulness a few times, and the first time I did a course about it, we were told it's not about falling asleep, it's about falling awake. I find that quite helpful, because often when I try and do mindfulness, I do like lots of people start falling asleep. Apparently, our mind can process 126 pieces of information every second. And research has found that our experiences of an uninterrupted now which is what we're kind of questing for with mindfulness, where we're fully present. Those moments last typically only one to 10 seconds, and you have to be a very experienced meditator for it to be much longer than that. George Bernard Shaw once said, the English are not very spiritual people, so they invented cricket to give them some idea of eternity.
0: Is this audio, audio
1: good enough? Audio, Yeah, audio is good, I think, yeah. That's my guest today, Kerry Godleyman. The word omphaloskepsis, easy for me to say, means contemplating one's navel as a form of meditation. Meditation has been proved to slow down or even prevent some neurodegenerative diseases. And experienced yogis can achieve similar lowering of metabolic rates as animals entering hibernation. See, we can all become hedgehogs if we work at it. And the Dutch University of Nijmegen offers its students a relaxation grave to lie in for meditation and stress relief. It was dug personally by the university chaplain and it has a mat at the bottom that reads, stay weird. So when your teenagers tell you they're going to Holland to chill out for a bit, you'll know what they mean.
0: Me and my family home, It's a grown up.
1: I know, I do feel like a grown-up, Kelly. Kerry Godliman is a comedian and actor known for her many TV roles and appearances, including playing Hannah in Derek and Lisa in Afterlife. She's a TV and radio panel show regular and her stand-up career has included several appearances on Live at the Apollo. She's currently touring her latest show, Bosch. Kerry and I talked about kids, adults, menopause, Davina, HRT, tribes, comedy, acting, America, storytelling, writing, yoga, hypnobirthing, radical self-compassion, India, and farting in front of Colin Firth. But we started by talking about what it's like being part of Generation X.
0: I was reading an article the other day that just said our generation were we're fucked. I mean, that's why you have to go and do that Hoffman shit because we are a broken people. We are a broken generation. The hedonism that we did for our youth—I just predominant. I mean, I'm sure there are exceptions, but.
1: That 90s period was extremely hedonistic. Good though, wasn't it? I was working at MTV in the 90s and I I remember some of it. And I think if I hadn't got pregnant by mistake, um, sorry, Jake, if you're listening, he knows (laughs) it was slightly unplanned. If I hadn't got pregnant by mistake in the 90s, God knows where it would have ended. But I suddenly had the... Late Jake was born in 1997 so I had the last bit uh, of the 90s where I had a sort of biological set of you know taboos in place and then I had to just <laughs> slow down but until then it was kind of game times. on wasn't it mm, yeah it was a bit bit wild and the thought that yeah my daughter goes running she's like I've done the couch to 5k and I'm going to do this and I thought I might That's do a bit amazing. of weight training I'm like what when I was that age there was no one was going running I don't think no. did we have aerobics our mums did aerobics but we didn't but my mum didn't do aerobics no, I don't think my mum did it. I think my mum had those home tapes with um, Angela Rippon and Jane Fonda. My mum wasn't getting involved in any of that shit. No,
0: I mean she, she, I, I didn't know anyone that exercised.
1: Yeah, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing like now. In they my tribe, they didn't have I gyms. Don't... They didn't have no no electricity.
0: <laughs> shit like that. No, absolutely not. No, it does seem very like there is a different sort of lifestyle, you know, zeitgeist to when when we were teenagers or younger.
1: I think there's a lot of them. Um, it's funny because I do loads of um, kind of corporate speaking, but more motivational speaking and stuff. Yeah. And which I will never take the piss out of on this podcast because it's what pays, you know, for this roof <laughs> over my head. But I know I do like doing it. But one of the things I keep getting asked in to do, I was asked in by a law firm last week, and they wanted me to do a motivational thing. And I assumed it would be for sort of jaded partners in the law firm, or it's because they had to tick a box for like, you know, Women's Day or something. But actually, what it was was that they found that the new entrants to the company, so the people who got into law, who were the top of their class at school, you know, out and, you know, doing stuff with other people and with a sort of competitive field, since they've the new entrants into law firms, so the kind of high flyers, the younger lot they've never worked in the office and they're completely demotivated. Like they're not, they're not finding it. They're not finding the pleasure of doing it. They're literally sort of get cracking through caseloads, not, not really finding it and and totally demotivated. And I've got a friend who's a lecturer and said the same thing. He's never known such demotivated students. And I just wonder what impact it's had on.
0: This is since
1: pandemic. Yeah. Since pandemic. Um, so that's wow. the young kind of the cut and thrust. They just had a
0: real "what's the point?" kind of epiphany. I think so,
1: yeah. And like, I think maybe it also I don't know how you'd have been, but I wouldn't have had much to draw on at that age to help me through it. I think we've all worked quite hard to understand ourselves a bit. We've all got yeah, our kind but of mindfulness,
0: you haven't got a sort of
1: a philosophical sort of bag of tools yet. Yeah, you're not looking, it's a lot of it's externally referenced at that point, isn't it? As you get a bit older, you start to look in a bit more and go, what can I do that makes me a bit more resilient? At that age, I had, I was like paper thin. I would have totally crumbled.
0: Fair enough. That's what being young is. And they're always being told that the world's fucked anyway. So no wonder they're like, well, screw
1: it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's a sort of an not maybe not on apathy, but I've definitely noticed that sort of even awesome in my point. daughter, who's really motivated, she's definitely become more of a procrastinator and a bit more like she'll drop the ball on stuff. And I think something's gone a bit sort of fu- fuzzy around the edges. And it's happened to me with hormones. I'm very fuzzy around the edges. I can't tell. I think the Venn diagram of pandemic and menopause was a fuck yeah. Thing, me to too.
0: I'm doing that dance. Are
1: you? Are you in the? Yeah. Per- are you in the? I'm
0: peri? in the peri. Yes. So I've started HRT
1: now. Have you? What are you having?
0: I don't know. It's a gel. Is it Gel? I have a couple of pumps of that and some progesterone. Yeah. Yeah. Been doing that a couple of months. You get Watched very slippery the in
1: menopause, don't you? A lot of gel everywhere.
0: Got the Divina. Watched the Davina documentary. Had a few very emotional conversations with my GP.
1: Yeah. Got my elbows out. Menopause I got... classic, I think, is what you're rocking. Yeah. A bit of gel, cry to the GP.
0: Yeah, that's that's the um, that's the, the model. triptych. Yeah, <laughs> yes, where we have a kind of strange conversation where she tries to kind of persuade me that it probably isn't the perimenopause. Then I go back to my friend who's a bit more au fait with it all. She's like, "What the fuck is she talking about? Go back and make it, give it to
1: you. Yeah, go back and got it. Yeah." You have to be quite assertive to get yeah, it. I think um, even post Davina, the NHS hasn't got more funding for HRT. So it's great watching it, but it doesn't mean that it's trickled down to GPs going, sure, we can see you need help. If men had, if, if this was a male thing, we'd have dealt with this years ago because we'd have had people going, no, oh, we can't have captains of industry being out of commission for 10 years. We'll no, fund no. them some medication. Well, wasn't there,
0: a, there was a new thing passed in Parliament, wasn't there recently, that they are going to... Um... It's going to be free now hey, yes it's
1: going to be free and yeah. and also what they really need and i'm not joking when i say it, is they need some kind of menopause leave For people who need that, who've got real jobs and can't cope with their... I definitely, part of me leaving a sort of boardroom career, if I look back at it, it looks like it was all clever and to segue neatly and to stand up as a full-time thing. But actually, it was because I lost my shit. I just was not mentally stable at all. My late 40s were way worse than I feel in my 50s hormonally. And I don't think people talk about... I, I cannot tell you how many friends of mine... I don't think I could name a single friend of mine who is my age... Who didn't wear the wheels didn't come off the bus in their late 40s? Well, I'm and in no my no late 40s, 40s now. And yeah. it's, it's, this is it's the eye f- of the storm, Kevin. Yeah.
0: I'm talking about it a lot with peers, and it's definitely, you know. You don't mean very... Piers Morgan, you mean people <laughs> our age? No, I mean, mean Piers, Piers. Um, Corbyn. <laughs> Yeah, but well, he's always
1: very, very sensible. He's very author. open
0: to all. all uh, yeah, and he always all has a very informed,
1: rational viewpoint as well on everything. So he's helpful. Did he make you a banner to take he, to? Yeah, future?
0: Piers corbin and Davina have really got me through this. That's it. We're all going to be saying that.
1: We'll be thanking them to our rocking chairs at the end of our days. But I do wish people would would know honestly would know that. And I and I wish when I left my job that I'd said. I didn't mention the menopause at any point. I was like, I'm struggling. Well, people didn't. I do think people yeah. are talking about it
0: more now than they they, uh, they previously were. Davina can't stop talking about it. You know, no one's about for and dinner and who else? Or... Um, who's that one that was married to one of the Gallagher's? Meg. Meg's apparently a bit yeah. of a uh, a menopause guru as well. Sadie Frost she?
1: can't get off it now either.
0: Oh right, and then everyone follows this Dr. Newsom on Instagram. She's... Yes. She's the menopause doctor. Yeah,
1: so I'm up to speed with
0: it all. So my GP didn't stand a chance once I'd got, like, once I'd made my mind up, I was getting it. You were, like, politicised about menopause. I was politicised, yes. And yeah. I remember being politicised about childbirth when I did all that as well. Me too. I was a militant. To yeah, childbirth. I was a militant because I wanted yeah. a home birth. And they tried to talk me out of it, as did all my in-laws. And I, it was as if I had to go through some sort of... um thing with it all a bit kind of like a sort of empowerment thing where I'm like no I know what I want to do I've made my mind up stop trying to talk me out of it and similarly with the menopause I think women have to just always go through a lot of this shit when it comes to their bodies and the fertility chapters and all that stuff
1: you become a sort of expert on whatever the thing is life throws at you don't you I yeah. remember when Date was diagnosed with autism I suddenly became like project manager of autism if you'd asked me at the time right. anything to do with provisions in schools any other kind of science of it I just became an expert when I was yes. having a I was the and same similarly kids. you
0: do have to be politicized you do have to sort of know your shit to get what you
1: know you need But then you feel, I think that a lot of people mistake women being assertive for being aggressive, don't they? There was a study in um, Silicon Valley called The Elephant in the Valley, which looked at how women and men were treated. And um, I think it was 80% of women had been told they were aggressive. And a similar percent of men had been told they were too soft. And well, these things fascinate me. Yeah. I
0: mean, my, without, I mean, you've beautifully segged into me plugging my tour, but my tour's called Bosch. And it is about that, that I have this boshy nature and sometimes it's funny and it's you know I can use it comedically to effect. but I'm also a little bit ashamed of it and I've always been told that I was strident and I've always been construed as a bit aggressive and that isn't necessarily obviously what I intend and I think it is a gender thing I don't think men get that like if women are described as ambitious that's a little bit a bit of a put you know I mean it's like it's meant a tiny bit derogatory. Yeah, a bit Um, like when they say you're a handsome woman, you're like, I don't think that sounds quite right. No, quite. (laughs) Or if you've got a potty mouth, you think, I don't think blokes get called potty mouths.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the, and we all know the old cliche on the circuit that you'll do like 20 seconds about you know genitals on stages of stand-up and you'll be talking why do you have to talk about your you know why do you have to talk about that and then blokes will be up there talking about tossing off for 20 minutes and no one's like why did you talk about that like we should kitchen. do a whole
0: tossing off gig where we just all talk about tossing off
1: it'd be very easy a after themed lockdown. evening there wasn't a lot to do was there so you know I didn't even have kids to bring up full-time job like a teenage boy uh sorry mum and dad if you're listening so is there in terms of I mean because I heard you do the um I love Josh and Rob's parenting hell podcast and you were one of the
0: first on it weren't you and I had a row with my daughter on it it was so
1: good they couldn't
0: believe that I sort of said keep it in I didn't even say it didn't even occur to me to say take it out and then I Josh was like I can't believe we didn't get a message from you afterwards saying don't use that
1: (laughs) and did she have because my kids are really funny about I think they might be secretly a little bit proud of what I do certainly I think they like it if you do a bit of telly or you do some, or you meet someone they like i think they I think that's know. cool but mostly they think i'm an arsehole yeah, and so- and i think it, they just won't get involved in like Jake and I have been offered to do some quite interesting speaking things because he's he's now a zookeeper and his story is quite interesting. Yeah, and he's also really funny and he's much better broadcaster than I am. And we occasionally get asked to do something together, and he'd be great. He'd be that I could hitch my wagon to his star happily. He just isn't interested. He's like I don't want to do it, and I definitely don't want to do it with you. Yeah, mm-hmm. no None kids taken.
0: just don't. My my daughter says to me regularly, "You're you're not funny. You're not funny." And I'm like, but no, at how am am are you funny? Because I don't I know if I am funny." funny at home. <laughs> Well, I don't know, but when I'm trying to be fun like when
1: I'm being funny, she'll just blink at me and be like, You're not funny. But wouldn't it be weird, I guess, if at that age they weren't pushing back against us? If they were just like, I think you're amazing, I'd like to be like no, you. That we'd would be, be like there's really something weird. actually wrong. It's with like me. when
0: like fourteen year olds still believe in Father Christmas, you're like, That's just weird. You
1: really Yeah, or weird. kids who say their mum is their best friend, I'm always like, yeah, You no, need no, you know, goodness. you need to get a proper friend.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. And I do I must admit, privately, I do find it quite funny that she doesn't find me funny. I kinda amused
1: by it yeah and we've all had people in audiences who feel like that and it just happens she's your only audience and she's at home
0: yeah and we just have these little battles about it but she she I don't know if she is very impressed particularly she doesn't watch the things I do on telly or if she does she doesn't tell me
1: I think that's also quite good though because can you imagine if they were it's a bit like you not going and standing over her when she's doing her homework it's kind of like everyone needs their own life don't they you don't want her to be totally involved is she because you grew up totally into acting right like you were always into it from yeah I when you can so. remember
0: I think so I did all that kind of stuff like drama club and all that yeah when I was a teenager or a kid. and did
1: you find that was and again I've heard you sort of talk on a few things in terms of that some comedians seem to get into comedy because they're quite fucked up and they didn't have roots and branches with their mum and dad and it was all a bit of a mess you don't sound like that's your story you sound like you had a you know pretty pretty solid Upbringing yeah. and, and you didn't get into it out of desperation or being lost in the breeze. Is, is that no, right?
0: I think so. I don't, re- yes, I know what you mean. There is that kind of tears of a clown reputation. Yeah, there is. Uh, and when you I, sit
1: backstage, sometimes you're like, it's real. There's some real <laughs> teary clowns here. But there is also some fairly sort of, you know, together clowns too. That's true. um And you have to be a bit together, don't you? You've got to turn up and do the job. I mean, it is. Yeah, a definitely. Job. Definitely.
0: Yeah. I, 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 um, I feel like I did sort of have a fairly healthy and sound, you know, my parents gave me enough attention for me. I don't know why I felt the need to perform. I, it's, sorry, I'm not very articulate. You'll have to cut me. <laughs> you'll have to cut around. I'm not being very articulate about it because I, maybe I have spoken about it before, but I just, yeah, I, I don't recall a specific moment with regard to that sort of like, I need to go
1: out and make strangers laugh. I don't know what that's about. Did you need your tribe though? Because I think sometimes, like partly doing drama, I used to find that the place I most fitted in at school was with people in drama club, and when you did plays and it was yeah, all no, I definitely, yeah,
0: I definitely liked the tribe of like finding performers, and um, and then when I did do acting and was an actor, and then I found the tribe of comedians mm-hmm. i was like oh no these are even more my people you're getting I like- more, and more niche i was getting more niche. niche i was like no actors aren't quite right it's comedians yeah. that i like yeah and i do i do like comedians i do find them pleasing people i, do I mean complex well. but, but, but pleasing it's
1: just so weird isn't it you just have weird com- i think if you're open to what talk about the world getting bigger and bigger when at our age and our situation, for some people, it gets smaller and smaller. I love the fact that you'll be somewhere and you just have a weird, a weird things happens, either a conversation you have or something weird happens at the venue or you end up in a place you never thought you'd be. Yeah. And the randomness of it. And people who are really open to that tend to be quite interesting people, I think.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think um, no matter where you are, like I did a few gigs in the States over the last few years and I kind of quite liked... That I could click into that vibe, any there, anywhere, like a bit kind of. I suppose, like if you're in the AA and you need a buddy, and you're abroad, and you're like, I need support. Yeah. I need to do a gig. I need. <laughs> I need a I need, community. I need
1: a community, and that you can. Just, I need to be the normal one. Yes, and <laughs> I, I can
0: attach myself to a little comedians gaggle somewhere
1: else. <laughs> How did you find it? Because I, I start when I started out, I was working for an American company. Um, I was looking for Viacom, so I used to spend loads of time in New York. So my first eighteen months of gigging was almost fifty percent over there and fifty percent here, all on the open mic circuit. So, wow. and I loved the fact that over there I would always go pusher than I am. So I'd go very Queen's English. And I think that being, yeah, just being a push woman they would lose their shit I, and saying I was a single mum I'd usually get about two minute applause break and then just have to tell three <laughs> jokes go home I, I haven't done
0: loads out there but one of them I know that I didn't have an, a brilliant response there was one in New York a few years ago and a friend was in the audience and afterwards I said to him that's really weird because they just really didn't sort of get on board and he went Kerry they couldn't understand a word you were saying you were going like the clappers
1: uh, like I was
0: just going so quickly you have
1: to go so slowly because yeah. it, it. I know it sounds yeah it sounds silly doesn't it but yeah. definitely yeah but he
0: just said you just you they just couldn't understand you yeah. and then I did one uh, like two nights later and did go slower and it was fine
1: like playing an audiobook on half speed
0: yeah it was really sort of um I but that again that boshy thing in me I do always go like the clapper I mean like for years as a comic starting out it was always like slow down slow down always my notes in acting always was yeah fine but just do it slower even like when I got married I remember m- walking down the aisle and me and my dad sort of on double play, like almost sort of galloping to get to my now husband like an old
1: Charlie Uh, Chaplin film. yeah it's
0: all a bit sped up and like I just remember the woman who married us like the priest woman she just sort of gestured like slow down just slow down and I thought god even in these moments it's always always the general feedback for me is just slow down
1: Is it? I'm I'm the same. I have to really remember, and that's the horrible thing about doing a podcast. Is there's no way, you know, you've got to listen back to it for the edit notes, and every time I'm like, "What? You know, what a dick." Oh, Uh, listening. Why did I speak like that? Is a nightmare. I mean, I just even doing
0: one now, I can't be fully present because I'm on the outside of myself, going, "You know that you you will regret saying that. You're talking too quickly. You're not being clear.
1: They just." Bizarrely. The good thing is you're not self-critical though Kerry that's the nice thing about you very generous <laughs> <laughs> but we do it's a bit it's a benevolent edit I remember someone saying that when I first did QI they said don't worry it's a benevolent edit yeah, and I thought afraid. that's a lovely phrase so yeah. basically the aim to make everybody look good Um, and I, I love the fact you're worrying about that when you had a full row on Josh and Rob's uh, <laughs> thing. Well it it's partly because of that I because it wasn't ages... a full row by the way actually I thought it was quite sweet I thought it was quite a loving I because I've got a teenage daughter or had one I thought it was quite a loving mum daughter I kind of got it I was like I sort of know where that's coming from
0: (laughs) well I'm more comfortable with that kind of podcast than others in a lot of ways because it's just actually um it's more relaxed isn't it I would it was you know it was the real it was a real moment
1: yeah, exactly. And is it that and that Bosch thing that you talked about? So you're and and we'll give it a good old plug in the show notes. So that's next year's show, right? So you're well. I've I mean, well. It was.
0: I mean, to be honest, it feels like I feel like share. I don't think I'm ever not going to be on tour now. I, yeah. I, it's. I, I was doing it before the pandemic. Then it stopped because of the pandemic. Then I resumed it this autumn. So I've done loads of dates. Then it goes stop now for a bit. Then it comes back again next January. Is it changing
1: then as you go? Is it? It's still kind the same of a show? little
0: bit. The core of it hasn't like the sort of spine and the through line and everything and what is it so the core of it is
1: is what what is just this
0: sort of boshy nature and sort of unpacking it a little bit but a lot of it is me doing what I do in stand-up which is I don't know observational stuff about family life or um consumerism I kind of are you finding now after a few years of doing comedy you think oh I do revisit I revisit my themes. I've got my sort of themes. Definitely, and actually, yeah. because I because of lockdown, some of those themes just got really lent into quite hard, like, you know, family life. So actually, I didn't have to rewrite it that much because
1: all of it still held up. And do you find that the... Um, I can imagine when you're a sort of frustrated actor, when you first start out acting, because I know you took up stand-up fairly soon after kind of leaving drama school and stuff. And did you... It must have been quite a good way to take back a bit of control, wasn't it? When you're sort of at the whim of casting, you know, agents. And then suddenly you're like, well, I'll bloody get on stage if I want. Thanks. uh, Yeah, definitely
0: fit fit my nature better because after I left college, because I loved drama school and I was really excited to be there. And I knew I wasn't naive enough to think that I was going to walk out of drama school and get like having an amazing acting career. But it just is a real shock when you do suddenly just endure this sort of, um unemployment thing and you're kind of led to believe that it's like this is part of the deal you know all the stats and blah 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 but it's just really it's really boring I mean mm-hmm. apart from the fact that it's financially miserable it's really really boring because you're just you've got all this desire to work and you're not working so as soon as I started doing stand-up I just was able to throw myself at it mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and
0: and immediately got a sense of well-being or worth or you know agency or whatever I was like oh this is a this is a thing I can do this and I can get good at it and, and put my energy into it
1: and it's your own um there's the, it is your own voice isn't it? I think there's something really there's something lovely about do, saying someone else's lines and being not having to take full yeah responsibility. I love doing that. yeah but there's something about it being your own voice and does it I can imagine that I can imagine that it helps that your acting would help your stand up maybe more than the other way around is that right or is that the wrong assumption?
0: do you mean like as in the craft or yeah as in the craft sort of having
1: gone to drama school would help you in your stand-up and oh, yeah. sort no, of things? no definitely
0: I was able to yeah there was a bit of stagecraft that I could I could implement with stand-up but well, I did a stand-up course as well and a lot of people go oh but how do you learn to be funny and it isn't sort of about that is it really I mean like the core the, the thing about stand-up I suppose is that you usually build it on a bit of a, a sort of sense like a, an assumption that you're funny anyway and that you've been funny and you've made people laugh yeah for years and you've made people laugh in at work or in all these other contexts and blah 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 and you're kind of just sort of trying to whatever that little spark of what humor is you're trying to put a bit of stagecraft around it and and make it into a
1: routine and realize it's a lot easier to make your mates down the pub laugh than it is one of the shocks I had because I used to think God, people always really laugh. like my mates think I'm really funny but then I realized there's context like right? you come in and tell a story yes. to your mates and they're like oh that's typical Callie that she did that but people in a crowd don't know that so I know difference... but then you
0: kind of apply you learn yeah. like yeah I suppose you learn a few tricks as to how yes. to take that contrivance of right how do I get my persona there and put it there yes how can I I shift that persona somewhere else like when we were at college I did do things like storytelling like we had a whole sort of term where we learned storytelling techniques where like I suppose in a theatrical context it would be a one-woman show yeah
1: and this was and a drama school you this was a drama at. school yeah. so
0: you know where you do kind of do that turning on a pin where I'm now I'm this character and then, yeah. then I said this character and then this character so it's using that sort of craft sort of thing and putting it in a stand-up context yeah. and not making it look too um, too contrived.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of effort that goes into making it look effortless, isn't there? I think yes. there is with, with stand-up. And that's the, as soon as they, I think it, I heard Ramesh talking about that and saying that when he'd been, you know, nominated and had a lot of success really early, and then he just could not get his next show right. And I think it might have been Sean Walsh said to him, you know, you're trying so fucking hard, mate. You know, every time we're watching you, you're so, you want it too much and everyone can right. smell it. And it's just yeah. not, you just need to let go of it have some fun again
0: well that's the easiest thing to say and not necessarily hardest thing because also as well you know when expectations go if you have had some success then you feel like you've got to sustain that level of that quality of work and not allow yourself to fall on your ass or be playful or you know Sometimes what I find fascinating about stand-up is there are bits, there are routines, especially when you're working up an hour, and there are bits that you know are like bangers that you could do in a club and they work really well. And then there's these baggy bits that yes. are a bit shit. Yeah. And you know they're a bit shit, but you kind of think, well, with the wind at my back, I could probably style it out.
1: Yeah. that's You and... described 47 minutes of my last show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but actually, then what happens is this other weird little thing happens where, like, good bits emerge in the shit bits and you have to allow yourself to be shit to find the diamonds and there's all these like I don't know metaphors for life probably somewhere in there but you've got to hang out in that discomfort
1: of shit to find the gold yeah the walking walking towards discomfort which is yes. such a, and you get so much out of that I, I remember someone and you'll know you'll know much more about this because you're you're properly trained as an actor and I'm not but the kind of idea that with improv as well you go further into the discomfort and that if yes. something sort of oh, the funny yeah
0: <laughs> I hate theater sports and improv and all that stuff because yes you're right you do have to yeah. practice all those um you know techniques and and theories all that wank all that wank all that pretending it's a brick is it a phone yeah is it a handbag I can't do I can't do that yeah but and yet I will apply those beliefs to stand-up and evolving routines in a stand-up context.
1: I'm definitely more of a performer than a writer for yes, different reasons, too. so I come from sort of a different type of performing and hosting, yeah. but that's what feels natural. And I got a sense from you, you can you can land whatever you want because you've got a capacity to perform it. Um, but does that mean, where does, where does the writing fit in with that? Because I, I write a lot on writing. stage. Yeah, no, I struggle with honest. writing. I yeah. write on
0: stage as well. I kind yeah. of have a few ideas and I scribble down notes and then I work them up on stage. I have found jokes in in the valleys of shitness that I never believed anything of any value dwelled. And then suddenly you're like, oh, there's a bit there. And the throwaway line becomes the routine. And I like that. I like the the realisation of that and the kind of, um, what other jobs uh, is that true of? That you have to really wade in to the unknown and see what you find there and endure a horrible feeling, a horrible, horrible feeling of standing on stage, talking shit. I mean, there's no paradox (laughs) like the audacity to stand on stage in front of paying humans and go,
1: shush, listen to this shit. It's so audacious. it is that thing though isn't it of like and also you failing there's no there's no kind of hiding away going oh, i think i fucked up that meeting at work i think angela from hr thought i was a bit of a dick it's like everybody in the room watched yeah. that everybody yeah. you can see that's what they're thinking yeah and you almost want to have a disclaimer going sometimes i'm quite good but, <laughs> but i'm not tonight uh, uh, tonight's not one of those nights so somebody well, that's, came what, that's <laughs> so, what you
0: mean about romesh saying because if he's now romesh off the telly yeah it's even further to fall when you're shit. It's even worse. Well is Because it? you're not like this anonymity where you're like, oh, I'm just a goofball having a go. It's like, I'm the person off the telly. Yeah. And now I have to even more to sort of prove that I'm not a twat.
1: I can still pretend it's my third gig if need be. I'll be like, I'm just starting out. I just thought I'd have a go. <laughs> well, I <laughs> will pretend
0: uh, new material is new material <laughs> for a lot longer than it genuinely is. Yeah, these. yeah, they're with
1: notes, even though you don't need them, like scattering around bits of paper so yeah, that it looks authentic. Yeah.
0: Like, oh, these are just ideas I had on the way here when, in fact, it was stuff I've been
1: working on. I think a lot 20. of people do that, don't they? Yeah. I and I remember
0: it. lying at the beginning, like, so lying to get gigs. So I'd pretend I'd been going longer than I had to get gigs, and then once I'd crossed over, I'd pretend I was newer than I was yes. to justify the fact that I was still a Just natural shit.
1: genius that's bursting out of you on gig seven Just when so it's many gig lies. 207.
0: Just a web of lies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's one of the bits of take out from this episode. Just lie, kids, lie.
0: Well, you sort of have to do that thing of what is truth? What is? I'm, am I performing when I'm trying to get the gig? I mean, you could argue it's a character. I'm playing a character trying to get stage time.
1: Yeah, I'm playing a character when I'm shoplifting, Kerry. That's a character, so there's nothing wrong with my moral compass. It's all just part of the uh, great facade of life. Namaste,
0: motherfucker.
1: In terms of um of that idea now of having the kind of profile, because I guess you get people who want to come and see you because they know you as a stand-up, but also because they've seen you in Derek or Afterlife or whatever yeah. it is. Is there that pressure then that they're like, they actually have come to see you rather than you being some random on a mixed bill who they might or might not like?
0: Yeah. And I like that. I like, I wanted that. I remember seeing that witnessing that with other people and thinking, Oh, I want that because the audience likes them and thinks like they're investing in their voice and what they have to say yeah so now when i do a tour show i feel like oh these are my friends these are people that want to see me and they want to like hang out with me and know what i want to say for an hour and then when i go back to a um a gig like a a a mixed bill i i forget (laughs) and the audience aren't there for me and i'm like oh i have to prove my I, it's a you know you have to sort of wear different hats don't you well, So is
1: it I can imagine if people are there for you that you you get a bit of grace they've come for you you'll probably get what five minutes of grace and then you've just got to be good
0: well I don't yeah I suppose you just got to come out and deliver but there's definitely a warmth that I really like like when I come out there's a sort of uh, a welcoming warmth that I'm like oh they especially now since the pandemic because they've held those tickets yeah um you know, they've held on to those tickets for the best part of, like, 18 months waiting for this bloody show. Yeah. So, yeah, you do feel a bit of pressure of, like, oh, it really, you know, it really better not be shit. But there's also a warmth and a kind of investment on their part that I I do think, yeah, you're right, gives you a, bit, a lot of grace. Um, But then, yeah, I did a gig the other day, which was just a mixed bill, just a normal show, and it wasn't as warm. <laughs> And I was like, oh, you don't, you don't want me in particular. You just want a mixed bill of comics. So I had to kind of, you know, re-read collaborate pull the knob gags out pull the knob gags out yeah I
1: saw somebody um the other night someone who I absolutely love and who's got one of the most brilliant solo shows I've ever seen and she was on on uh you know quite a big club and I was emceeing and she was closing and it was just really weird watching knowing what a standing she's got with so many people and how brilliant she is and that club just wasn't for them and I was like god I can't believe that could happen to her yeah no to me she's like a total hero I I know it's interesting isn't it that's
0: why it's so I remember years ago a comic saying to me, it's just so lovely when you get to tour and you have got your audience and they they do kind of you've got a bit of shorthand with them. It's just really, really lovely. It's like kind of what I wanted. Yeah. So it's really great to have it.
1: Are you quite a sort of spiritual, self helpy kind of person? Where are you on that?
0: Yeah, I have. And I have always been like it. It hasn't been just later in life. So even thought,
1: as a as a young woman?
0: Yeah, because my mum used to be into it all. So she's a bit of an old hippie. So I used to read self-help books a lot when I was like young, like in my late teens, early 20s. And I know I, I remember reading Gloria Steinem's Revolution From Within when I was probably about 17 or 18 and stuff like that so you were I an was an early all, adopter. I was an all early adopter yeah. but probably wouldn't have talked about it. Still slightly reluctant to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, no then, one talks because... about
1: women masturbating or reading self-help did they? No, like quite.
0: Then? I mean it's definitely more openly talked about now like yes. maybe HRT a little bit or lifestyley things or but I yeah, I definitely wouldn't have talked about it um then. And I have always flirted with that spiritual side of life, and did yoga from when I was young, and went travelling around India, and sort of probably was a bit of a wanker about it all. And so I've always been into what my friend calls plinky plonky things,
1: yeah, um, for a long time. And do the plinky plonky things? So what are well, first, first of all, do you ever try and get your? So you've sort of got that from your mum being a bit of a hippie. Where's your yeah. daughter on it, or and your son? You Not know. Into to it okay <laughs> not
0: at all I mean like occasionally she's 14 so I suppose I probably wasn't much into it at 14 when did I suppose when do you come around to that sort of desire to think about uh, I mean I, I'm fascinated by this stuff if you're not religious or raised religious mm-hmm. and you've had a sort of secular upbringing which I had to an extent I mean my dad's a real sort of card-carrying atheist and mm-hmm. as I say my mum's more of a kind of hippie than a um, mm-hmm. spiritual, like you know, she wouldn't align herself with any specific religion or belief system. But he's definitely, she will definitely use words like the universe that will be plomped into mm-hmm. conversation. um And I don't know when you kind of come around to sort of thinking about that stuff, really. As a, I mean, like my daughter's not remotely interested in it.
1: No, mine's not either. She really takes the piss out of me. She really yeah. does all my kind of hippie shit and therapy I've had years and years of therapy in and out of it. And my yeah, I think my daughter just is like- But every generation
0: has their own, like my mum was sort of really into it and I probably just picked up a bit on it because she was really into it,
1: and I am a bit. You were universe it, but... light, and she was full in universe. She was full yeah. in
0: therapy, training yeah. to be a therapist. Yeah, all of it, like fully that. All that stuff really
1: chimes. There were a lot of wind chimes kicking there were about. Chimes. Yeah. There were
0: jostics. There Buddhas. were crystals. There were Buddhas. Like all that shit was going yeah. on. Yeah.
1: And And there's not so many Buddhas and Justics I can see in your backdrop there. No, um,
0: there's a couple of Buddhas kicking about. There's always
1: Buddhas kicking about. There's a few,
0: like, ganeshes. Like, I do like all that stuff. Like, I will... But now there's this new sort of um, angle on it, isn't there, about appropriation and stuff Mm. like that. So... Oh, you should see what
1: I got for calling this Namaste, motherfuckers. I got some proper Namaste hating. And do you know what Namaste means? Oh, should I tell you my
0: favourite Namaste story? So my friend... She's lovely, she makes me laugh. So she emailed this yoga center inquiring about some classes and then they answered her and signed off, Namaste. Yeah. So then she answered them back, dear Namaste, thank you for your your prompt reply. Did they correct her? No, but when she told me she'd done it, I really love that. (laughs) dear Dear namaste Namaste.
1: thank you for your prompt response (laughs) it's like a sort of automated call center isn't it Where i'll just get whatever the last thing is you said (laughs) and uh, that's your name she just
0: assumed their name was (laughs) namaste
1: yeah i definitely got some i think people do get also it's almost like virtue signaling it's like my bit of like the yogi community is this yeah. and you don't have any right to be in it because yeah. you don't get this thing and it can be quite a bit of sort of one-upmanship there's nothing worse than a sort of earnest self-help uh, who doesn't really want you to be in their club but wants to show no. you why you. well the problem talking
0: about all this stuff like spirituality or um any of these things that we're talking about, is that they they massively suffer in translation. Yeah, they do. So, you know, the minute you sort of try and articulate what you get out of it or the value of it, it, it just falls apart because it's not something, it's just something that I construe as sort of private, really.
1: Yeah, you can and sound like a real smug dick very quickly. You just quickly. sound like a dick, or you sound yeah. like you're
0: telling people what to do. Yes. Like sometimes if other people seem like they're having a tricky time with something and you're like, well, I think you should just breathe. Yeah. You just sound like a wanker yes. who's not grasped the extent of their problems. And I think people <laughs> you
1: know? often want to take you down for, I know when I did um, I did a master's in neurolinguistic programming years ago and people get really opinionated about NLP. Yes yeah and i i didn't really feel i didn't feel ambivalent because i spent years doing it but it's not a thing that i feel evangelical about i don't use it like a weird trick i'm not trying to be paul mckenna no but don't be more since
0: cognitive therapy aren't people a bit more on board with it? i
1: think people still they they kind of want they want you to be evangelical about it so they can take you down and say it's actually not as good as you think and and, and i had a really bad experience with it and and i think people are quite taken aback when i say it's, it's a thing I find interesting. I probably yeah. do use it in some ways that I don't exactly. even think about, but I'm not evangelical about it. And if you really no. hate it, that's fine. Hate it. Don't ever I do mean, anything it's fascinating. it. I mean, like
0: yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a bit like my mum, I suppose in that cherry picking way, like I will dabble in a bit of Buddhism and I'll dabble in a bit of yoga and I'm quite open to ideas and I'll take what's useful to me at a given time. And sometimes I, maintain it and sometimes I fail and drop the ball with it and it is I you know I've got better over the years as I've got older of not trying to not over analyzing it I'm just I take what's useful and and dump what's not I suppose well that's kind of
1: all NLP is I mean that's the funny thing when people get that's all it is it was everything that had preceded it put into a sort of melting pot that was a bit more accessible so it took yeah. all the principles of other psychological approaches and put them in a sort of kit form that then did get used as a bit of a twatty technique in businesses and stuff it got a yeah. bit sort of David Brent I think the way it was used but if you look at the principles and all we're ever doing is evolving any individual we take everything we found out and read and done and tried and it's mm. human instinct to go well that bit works I like it exactly. that's like evolution isn't it I'll take the yeah. things I like that help me and I'll get rid of the stuff I don't like and it's all quite perfect.
0: And sim- I mean similarly what I was saying to you earlier about like home birthing and hypnobirthing and stuff like that and I know that some people were like I remember it really stressed my mother-in-law out and I'm talking to her about meditation and like mindfulness and stuff like that and she she sent me an article that she'd cut out about how it can trigger depression because you know it sort of it, you'll be accessing things in your mind that maybe you should leave alone and it's really like complicated for people you shouldn't really sort yeah. of tell people what to do you know they'll come to it or not in their own time or if they do or don't you know I was surprised that even something as like useful as, and basic and simple as mindfulness to someone else could be Threat. Awesome. Threatening. Yeah. It's almost a
1: threat, isn't it? And I think it's, I think people maybe think that it's like a cult or something, like you do something yes. and you're going to be like, yeah, I went on this mindfulness course and I've been told to recruit you now. Yes. So when we start talking about it, actually, yeah, yeah you're going to be wearing a, a frock. And, and and I don't want yeah. to wear
0: a badge for it, any particular Technique or strategy or movement, all of it is like, look, you do what you're doing, and these things sometimes are useful for me.
1: Yeah, I do find that I, I'm. A, I run. One of the things that helps me is running. It really helps me, and it's not actually so much for being fit; it's m- mental health. I mental mean, I health, properly yeah. it properly helps me, and I don't go around saying to people, "I'm a runner. You should run." But when I say I run, I reckon two thirds of the time somebody will tell me why they hate running and why running's bad for your knees and yeah. your hips. And I think I really, that's fine that you hate running. I hate swimming. That's great. You know, don't worry about it. Same with yoga. If you tell people
0: you do yoga, they, I mean, I do yoga in the most casual kind of like, I do that yoga with Adrian, like online thing. And really I just like hanging out with her. Sometimes I'm just sitting cross-legged breathing while she's like working her ass off. Yeah. I'm just. That's ideal. That approach to yoga. Hanging out with this woman who I pretend is my friend in Texas. Yeah. But you know, it's it's just it, I'm not like strident,
1: yeah, about any of it particularly. Yeah, you're not just... stridently smug.
0: <laughs> no, I'm not stridently <laughs> doing a. Uh... Stridently meditating is a paradox.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do. I sometimes think I go to Pilates to. um, I I think it's for the company of women. I miss their being. I used to love when I was part of the kind of school run community. And I was always working, but you have that. You know, everyone in your neighborhood if your kids go to local state schools, right? And you're sort of part of something. And in the days my kids were young, it was primarily women who did the school run, not exclusively. And and I didn't do it all the time. My kid's dad did a lot of it. But I I realize now when I go to Pilates, it's that same feeling. There's like women, they're not always the same women, but the sort of chat that goes on and just being in the company of those women for an hour. I think that's as good for me as anything I'm doing with my body.
0: Well, if you wear a baggy T-shirt to Pilates, you don't even really have to do it. Like I, I don't think anyone's
1: doing know. anything at Pilates. I don't think anyone knows what their pelvic floor is <laughs> or why we're there or why we're paying so much to be there. We could just be in Starbucks, to be fair. Yeah.
0: It's like, you're like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's just internal. And very And they say, can
1: you feel it? You're like, oh, can I feel it? Oh yeah, my <laughs> sacrum. I don't know what it is, but I think my sacrum's had a full flex.
0: My lower chakras are really <laughs> tightened up.
1: Oh, they're on fire after that. Thank you. Well, I'll take them. I don't even know if I can get home. They're so excited. If you had to sort of encapsulate what your formula is at the moment for sort of well-being and being okay what are there sort of things you do a few things that you do rely on um apart from not doing podcasts when i'm I'm beating myself
0: up for some (laughs) failing or another i do try and remind myself to be kind to myself yeah and when people have said and friends that are on similar paths or have similar life views you know if you're ranting to a mate about something you fucked up um I when friends say just be kind to yourself and I'm like you know I think that's a nice thing to do self-compassion yeah self-radical com- self-compassion yeah. Wow. just be putting the bush into yourself.
1: self-compassion
0: yes yeah there's a brilliant podcaster a woman called Tara Brack a, a Buddhist yes
1: I love Tara Brack yeah so that's
0: like a real I listen to her every week and I get a lot from that and that, kind, yeah, I do like that kind of radical compassion that she sort of, you know, encourages people to practice. And yeah, that would be just that kind of calm down, be kind to yourself, you know, life can be hard enough. And if you're giving yourself a shit time, you know, if you're the person that is beating yourself up, then all is lost. You know, you have to sort of look after yourself, don't you?
1: I remember um, them remember what it was because I've tried so many different like courses and mindfulness and if there's any crap out there you can pay something for and go off and see if you can better yourself. I've done it. And (laughs) uh, to varying degrees of success, I would have to say. But I remember the first time anyone talked about self-care, someone said to me, "So, what do you do for self-care? And I couldn't even unpick what it. I'd been a single mum for fifteen years by then. I was like self care. Yeah. I hadn't even occurred to me that that was yeah. an option. I was I, just. I like, mean, it's such yeah. an
0: oversight, isn't it? That oh, I, totally, I these... couldn't even
1: think what it would look like. I was like, well, how would that? What would? I no. could not think what it could be. I'm
0: sure if someone had said that to me in my heightened moments of like self flagellation, I'd have just cried. I'd have just been like, what do you mean? Self-care?
1: Yeah, I think that is you what know. I did. And they were like, that'll be 120 pounds. I said <laughs> it's nice doing business with you. They gave me a few lentils, and off I trotted. <laughs>
0: It seems so easy, doesn't it? As a sort of like philosophy, but just be kind to yourself. And it's the whole metaphor that I'm sure has been used a hundred times. If you're on a, you know, if you're in turbulence in an aeroplane, you don't take the oxygen mask off and put it on someone else. You have to put it on yourself first before you're of any use to anyone else. So it's like, you do have to look after yourself and then you can be better for other people.
1: Yeah, that's what I tell myself when I'm incredibly selfish in regards to my children. But like, no, but then... you see,
0: you've done that thing. I know. You've, you've said it's selfish and it isn't you yeah. know like when you're young and hedonistic your identity is all bound up with being like Woo, party girl or whatever then when you're not ceasing to really want to do that anymore you have to redefine yourself then you become a parent and everything i mean fuck, becoming a parent is the biggest identity shift then as they get older and they don't need you in that way you've got another identity shift yeah you know it's re- it's like it's constantly evolving and if you're not if you don't have some sort of philosophy to reflect on this stuff
1: it it just overwhelms you. Well your strategies reach their sell by dates, I think. By a certain yeah. point, I was interviewing Louisa Young, who wrote a brilliant book, You Left Earlier. I don't know if you've read it, but if you love it, if you love a a sort of deep think it's is about her love affair with Robert Lockhart who was a sort of um alcoholic genius composer and it's just the most beautifully but it's really funny but it's the oh, best depiction yeah. of alcoholism I've ever read and I've got a propensity for dating alcoholics so I was really interested in it and i uh-huh. I interviewed her yesterday and she's slightly older than me and we were talking about that that your strategies that got you through 20 30 years yeah. do reach their cell boy date and if you ha- if that yeah. happens to be alcohol that's when it's going to bite you in the ass and mentally and physically you'll start yeah. to collapse but we all have it with something else it's food or it's overwork, or it's we've all got a thing that we've used to totally cope. yeah and and we can't judge alcohol or drugs any more than food or, or
0: consumerism, that's consumerism I, I mean yeah. I spent like two hours yesterday looking at jumpsuits online oh like,
1: that but that's actually a very good use of I mean that could be one f- of your tips happening.
0: I was like what are you hi- <laughs> well what Tara Bratt would say what are you numbing what are you numbing here <laughs> Oh I don't know, but these jumpsuits are completely. <laughs> exactly.
1: anything that makes my mum tongue looks good, Tara. It's good for you. It's good for me. So <laughs> fucking back. It's on. radical jumpsuits. <laughs> exactly. Get on board. Namaste, motherfuckers. What would you pick, Kerry, as your namaste, motherfucking life-changing moment? Well,
0: I can't. I don't have one. I I, I want a montage. Give me a montage. montage, like a pop video. Yeah, like
1: you did on your Memory Lane podcast. People bring all their little photos in. Yeah, like montage.
0: there's no like. Just little moments throughout hey, my life I, don't have, I didn't have one I, th- I don't know I think things like I think I, I panicked a lot when I was a teenager I was quite anxious I used to have like anxi- what we now call what do we call them now anxiety uh, um episodes or whatever yeah yeah but I, that panic attacks and things like that and I can remember my mum trying to get me to grasp the notion that my imagination is kind of arguably a little bit in my control you know when you just think yeah. I, I am at the whim of what pops into my head and then someone suggests the notion that you can control it yeah <laughs> and that there is some semblance of decision making and it might feel that that's ambitious but even just being open to the concept that you do make some decisions with regard to your own mind yes even just someone introducing the notion that your mind is separate from
1: you and the fact that your thoughts aren't facts. I found that really and helpful. That Some yes, your thoughts, and not
0: facts. Your thoughts, not facts. Or yeah. that it's, you know, not necessarily true. Yes. And uh, and I think that was probably quite a big moment. I, I remember sort of really mulling on that and really... Uh, yeah, I don't know if I've done much with it since but it was a turning point moment. And then things like travelling, I do remember that being a big deal. Like I went off on my own to India, which
1: um how old were you?
0: Not young enough to make out like that it was super brave, but like 20 24, 25. I think that is
1: super brave. I would still find it hard to go to India on my own. When well, I wasn't 52. meant to go on my
0: own, I was meant to go with some mates but they all dropped out. And me being me, I was like, well fuck you, I'll go on my own. Then. Yeah. And um and so it was more it, of a
1: quest for friendships that would last rather than self-knowledge.
0: <laughs> I, I spun it that it was a pilgrimage to, to <laughs> into my soul. But I, it was, you know, it, it was a big deal. I mean, I did have to sort of be alone with myself in some quite sort of, I don't know, it wasn't scary, but it's definitely walking towards discomfort yeah. in a way that a lot of and people... And stepping over find. a
1: sacred cow.
0: Yes. All by yourself. Sacred cow shit. Um yeah, I just feel quite alone, and I think there was a value in it that, you know. Now looking back, I'm like, yeah, you definitely shifted a lot by doing that. You became sort of. I think that that's what I wanted from it. I wanted to shake myself out of a complacency or something like that. But again, similar to your Ricardo um, story, you think, oh, this just sounds like middle class wank. I mean, you know go traveling with <laughs> stick a bindi on and go around india with a backpack and how sort of middle class can you get but it's about
1: your world getting bigger i do actually think that you know joking aside one of the things that's gone a bit wrong a bit wrong she says understated the last 18 months is that everyone's world's got really small and anything that helps your world get bigger whether that's physically traveling somewhere or just being curious about well how, something all your
0: yeah. like all your belief systems upturned yeah like like going somewhere where everything you've believed to be true is not necessarily true. And there's all these other sorts of truths that are going on, whether that be religion or um, cultural stuff. It's just such a, I mean, the phrase culture shock really did, you know, apply. Like it was a culture shock Mm -hmm. on every level. And it just completely re makes you reassess who you are and how you live and choices you make and, you know, the privilege of having choices and, blah, blah, blah you know, all these things that prior to that trip, I don't think I'd fully realised.
1: And your sense of self. I mean, it's easy yeah. for us to think we know who we are and that's actually propped up by everything around us. And when you're literally yes. plonked into another environment, who, we, who are you? Plonked into another
0: environment and yeah. having to kind of make your way around. It. I mean, it's and also, you know, it's not compulsory. It's not like doing... um what what did younger people have to do gap, before
1: them? gap years
0: gap yeah it wasn't gap a gap years. year it wasn't like military service yeah, yeah. it wasn't
1: oh I'm you thinking know, gap years you're thinking military service I you're was going thinking military service back.
0: it was something specific that yeah. makes a younger person reflect on who they are and what they're going to do with yes. their life maybe and there was a value in it that I think was really useful at that time yes and
1: um, so you're comparing going to India as doing military service, and that's what we're <laughs> going to take. From <laughs> well, this no, not.
0: but you know what I mean. <laughs> I Just do. a
1: kind of like a
0: transition <laughs> from maybe youth to adulthood yes
1: yeah, sort of coming of age and there is a coming lot i age. remember reading that um it's probably really unpopular now for, for good reason um but there was a book called bringing up boys that everyone was reading when jake was about oh, eight I've so we're talking that, 15 yeah. years ago and again yeah. i'm sure for many reasons it's very sort of binary and lots of things probably wrong with it but one of the things that made sense to me not specific to boys but was that idea that you used to have coming of age trips with a sort of role model an adult role model who wasn't your parent and you yeah. went and found yourself vis-a-vis other adults and worked out where you were. And actually that, regardless of gender, those that, that experience where it's you in an environment where you're not defined by your, your legacy as a child, there yeah, is some yeah. real power in that, I think. And you get that, yeah. don't you? If you travel, you suddenly have interface with loads of different influences. Yes,
0: and you're completely out of your comfort zone. So yeah. you reassess everything, really. Yeah. So, yeah, that was probably a bit of a turning point.
1: What was harder, a pilgrimage to help yourself or talking about (laughs) (laughs) self-help? That's an easy answer.
0: It's <laughs> very hard to articulate <laughs> these things, and having that wanker filter going on in your head the whole time, isn't it? Really, I think that because we, yeah, to but... be sincere about things of this
1: nature, yeah,
0: when you're a comedian, I
1: know it's the worst. That's why it's called Namaste, motherfuckers, because it yeah, sums it absolutely. up. I do really believe in. Well, I this I stuff, love this
0: podcast. But... I love that you know it really appeals to me because it's two things that are like massive in my life, and I'm like, how are you going to surmount that? Quite. But they do that's coexist,
1: amazing. right? I mean, I've sat in doing, I, I've, you know, some of my darkest moments, you have really funny observations about yourself, right? You see it happening, you're in the depths of it. Yeah. And I, when all those empty nest horrors happened, I was still able to look at it again, you fucking idiot, sitting crying because you can't, because your daughter's school bars have come up as a favourite on Ocado. Yeah, and you yeah. think that that's that merits a full collapse. Is it Simon
0: see... Amstel does a bit, doesn't he? Maybe it's Simon Amstel about sort of cracking jokes in his therapy and his therapist saying, You don't have to be funny here. You know, we don't need you to be funny here or whatever. And he's like what I know no, that's I what? I mean that perfectly sums up how I would be in therapy I would I would you know just naturally attempt to make the therapist laugh
1: yeah and then all they want to know is what your motivation is yeah my favorite therapist um was called Yoda she wasn't but I was called her Yoda I once <laughs> to her face by mistake but normally behind her back but she yeah she would always be like that she was like and, and you're trying to make me laugh because and she would yeah. just keep diving into it And I was like oh Christ like yeah, a really so bad like, Saturday know, night crowd
0: Absolutely. I, I would be the one farting on a silent retreat without any doubt.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think everyone farts on a silent retreat. It's one of the reasons people are scared to go. It's not they're not talking, <laughs> it's the what noise. And also your tummy, the noise your tummy makes by the time you're 52, it's a lot of noise. It's like nothing, it's I not mean, a silence.
0: I once farted in front of Colin first, that, that happened. Did you?
1: Yeah. Is that the name of your autobiography?
0: No, but I sort of think I need to sort of unpack it as a kind of, like the shame, like sort of unearthing levels of shame that I didn't know were available in the human experience. But I wonder I how I... he's
1: talking about it. Maybe no, it was a highlight I don't think he remembers it. I just
0: think he's a very... Uh, um, I, I, I was so lowly to him I just don't suppose it even registered. Were you on
1: set when you felt Yeah I was on farted. set and
0: I had like one day's filming like I had one line in a film probably paying some sort of servant and he paying some sort of gentleman. So you just and let one go to get yeah, some just attention? Farted. Well no it wasn't <laughs> no. intentional it was nerves <laughs> and I don't think I've ever felt so mortified in my life. See, finally, we got to your namaste motherfucking moment. Maybe that was my namaste motherfucking moment. <laughs> farting in front of Mr. All Darcy. All this fucking India
1: shit you tried to do. Yes, all
0: this fucking <laughs> spiritual, blinky, plonky shit. And it was discovering something about surviving farting in front of Mr. Yeah, Darcy. Yeah, the
1: first guff, which not many people have lived to discuss afterwards. Yes.
0: You know, when you've been <laughs> that low down in the gutter and survived it you'll be okay.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's good. That's our life advice sorted. And what's your (laughs) favourite joke, Kerry? Uh,
0: One of my favourite jokes is what do you call a nun with a washing machine on her head? Systematic.
1: Excellent.
0: I'm not normally one for a pun, but it's got a nun in it. And I do...
1: Everything with a nun and a pun. Yeah. That's gold. And then I
0: thought it might suit this podcast because it's sort of a spiritual lady, a lady of God. Yeah. Sort of, she's made some lifestyle choices that I find very admirable. That's a full commitment to, to a lifestyle, isn't it?
1: That's a real full and commitment. Then, I don't know what's worth the celibacy or the outfits. I wouldn't like the outfits, would you? I'd you love be the outfits. To be would jumpsuits, take, then. I wouldn't be able to be googling jumpsuits.
0: Well, I'd be happy to not Google jumpsuits ever again. I would wear a wimple now, quite happily. You'd wear a I wimple have to and worry a about haircuts, Wouldn't have to worry about fringes. Look, you've got a fringe and I've got a fringe.
1: Yeah, and my it's, fringe it's a I lot can of keep. keep. I can keep it. I cut my
0: own. Do you cut your own fringe? No, I did in lockdown, but it was a fucking mess. And I always
1: cut my... As you can see right now, this is also unwashed for about seven days. I've, I'm you really imagine pushing... Imagine if you
0: had a wimple. You wouldn't have to worry about any of this, would you?
1: No, I don't want to have a wimple. You can't talk me into a wimple. Well, I'd I don't want to be have a, a wimple than...
0: or a I don't want to fully... Marry Jesus, is that what it is? I think you're
1: meant to have a, I think you're meant to be fairly faithful to Jesus. I don't think you're meant to have a lot of love for that,
0: but sartorially, I'd quite happily get involved. You
1: could just get the outfit, Kerry, that is an option, yeah, but then that
0: would create all kinds of problems, wouldn't it? It'd take a bit of explaining at the
1: start of your shows, especially the club gigs
0: (laughs) People would come up with certain expectations, and I'd be like,
1: Look, I know I'm wearing it, I would just not mention it, I would just, I don't believe in God, I would just have it there and just never reference it and just see what the fuck happens. So that's my comedy advice for you and um, if there was one bit of life (laughs) advice you could give to anybody listening what would it be oh
0: I don't know I can't give life advice be yourself be kind to yourself eat your vegetables don't be a (laughs)
1: cunt that was Kerry Godliman Every episode, I pick a thing inspired by my guests that I'm going to do. And this week, it's all about getting back into mindfulness, which I've let slip a bit this last couple of months, I have to say. I remember when I first got a boardroom job and I was shitting myself about not being good enough and getting found out. I had an incredible executive coach who was a guy in his seventies, who by then had done one brilliant job after another. And he told me that if you don't have time to meditate for 10 minutes a day, then you need to do an hour, which sort of made sense to me when I thought about it. Um, And then when I started learning about meditation techniques, I was told that just 15 minutes of meditation have about the same benefits as one hour of sleep. So with all that in mind, I'm going to do some of Tara Brack's guided meditations. In fact, I'm going to do one a day. I've done them before, but I haven't done them for ages. And there are loads of options on her site. There are lots of guided meditations that last about 20 minutes on average there are a few shorter and longer ones but we've put a link to all that in the show notes namaste and if you haven't already listened to last week's episode with louisa young that kerry and i talk about a bit there's a link to that and to her book you left early in the show notes as well so that is more than enough from me for this week and this episode we will be back in your feed next monday as always when i will be talking to radio and television presenter colin murray I learned from good people when I was was younger because I never wanted to work in radio or TV so I just landed in it
0: and then asked a lot of people for advice.
1: Namaste Motherfuckers was written and presented by me, Callie Beaton and produced by Mike Hanson and Karusha Dami for Pod People Productions with music by Jake Yap. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, motherfuckers. Thank you